All right, I thought we'd start with like a, just a little icebreaker, a little bit of competition since we got uh, a room full of guys. And uh, so I've got this test that I put together and everybody should have one and a pen. So look at side one, don't look at side two yet and go through at the bottom of the page is 12 or 12 uh, historical character people who uh, these quotes belong to one. So there's one uh, quote for each person at the bottom. And if you'll fill it out real quick, um, we'll go through it and see who makes it on to round two. Round two will be on the back page. And whoever wins this competition, I've got a signed Todd Helton baseball I'm gonna give you. So um, let's make it, uh, make it real here. Uh, so, and while you're filling this out, I'll just kind of tell you a little funny story. My wife, about a week ago, asked me, she said, uh, she said, uh, where are you speaking again? And I said, uh, I was in the other room, and, 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 I, and she knows me better than anybody in the world, and she knows that I have, on rare occasion, uh, partaken of a little too much craft beer. So I answered the question, Monday, night brewing. <laughs> and her response was, I thought you were speaking on Wednesday. And I said, what's that? She said, where are you speaking? I said, about, a, I don't know, about 50 to 100 guys. And she said, get your ears checked. So give a little more time here. Don't overthink this, this is just a game. So, give about 15 more seconds because I don't want to spend too much time on this, but. All right, 10 seconds, fill it in. <laughs> fill it in. You know? <laughs> hey, you know what, you can't, but it's just like, you know, when you take those tests, uh, and you get down to the end, you just, you just have to B, 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 C, 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 C. That's right. So, all right, is everybody ready? So here we go, score yourself. First quote, what has been will be again. What has been done will be done, will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. That was Solomon, all right? Number two, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. That's Abraham Lincoln. Three, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. That's Joshua. Number four, most of us go through life praying a little, planning a little, jockeying for position, hoping but never quite certain of anything, and always secretly afraid that we will miss the way. That's A.W. Tozer. All right, five, 
Since it is so likely that children will meet cruel enemies, let them at least have heard of brave knights and heroic courage. That's C.S. Lewis. Six, for what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and suffer the loss of his soul? That's Jesus. Jesus said that. All right, seven. From the beginning of my Reformation, I have asked God to send me neither dreams nor visions nor angels, but to give me the right understanding of his word, the Holy Scriptures. For as long as I have God's word, I know that I am walking in his way and that I shall not fall into any error or delusion. That's Martin Luther. Eight. Christianity preaches the infinite worth of that which is seemingly worthless and the infinite worthlessness of that which is seemingly valued. That's Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Okay? Nine, never forget that everything Hitler did in Germany was legal. That's Martin Luther King Jr. said that. Ten, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. That was Paul, the Apostle Paul. All right, 11, the greatest legacy one can pass on to one's children and grandchildren is not money or material things accumulated in one's life, but rather a legacy of character and faith. Billy Graham. And then lastly, a man's got to have a code, a creed to live by. That's John Wayne. All right, quick, quick scoring. How many people got them all right? Okay, how many got 11? 10? 9? We got one niner. All right, well, that ends the game. Yeah. No, actually, I, I thought we'd have probably a, at least a two or three, like a tie. So just for the fun of it, switch it over to the other side, because I want you to hear these quotes. All right. Who said, the only time my prayers are never answered is on the golf course? Billy Graham. That was Billy Graham. All right. How many legs does a dog have if you call his tail a leg? Four, saying that a tail is a leg doesn't make it a leg. It's Abraham Lincoln. All right, three, I like this one. Life is tough, but it's tougher if you're stupid. That's John Wayne. And then four, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. That's C.S. Lewis. And then lastly, whoever drinks beer, he is quick to sleep. Whoever sleeps long does not sin. Whoever does not sin enters heaven. Thus, let us drink beer. That's Martin Luther. So, all right. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to speak to you. Um, like Matt said, I'm a sports agent, and I'm a very like, unlikely character to be a sports agent. All I can tell you is that when I was in high school, 
I was very goal-oriented and a pretty focused guy, and I wanted to make my living in sports. And I had narrowed it down to two things. One, being a football coach, no idea why. I didn't play football, I just, but being a football coach, it's just like leading men, you know, out on the battlefield. And two, was being a sports agent. It was a kind of a new business that I was reading about in the sports pages. And so I, I, along the lines of being a football coach, I said, you know what, I, I'm gonna write. At the time, they had football coach at Georgia Tech was a guy named Pepper Rogers. I wrote Pepper Rogers a letter. And I said, uh, do you have anything I can do to work for the football team? And he actually got me in touch with the head of the managers. And I ended up working in the athletic office at Georgia Tech. One year on the field, three years up in the main office. And, I, and during that time frame, I saw without a shadow of a doubt, I did not want to be a football coach. That was a hard, hard life. So I narrowed it down to sports agent. By the time I was a junior in college, I was, that was my plan. I'm going to be a sports agent. And so I went to law school, not to be a lawyer, but to be a sports agent. I had a mentor who said, look, if you're going to do this, what you need to do, he was a lawyer in Atlanta, he said, you need to go to law school, make the best grades you can make, get on, the best, get on with the best law firm you can get on with. And then, if you still want to do this crazy thing called sports agency, go give it a shot. But if it doesn't work, and what he meant by that was when it doesn't work, you'll have a, something that you can fall back on. So I went to law school, and I literally had classmates. I had this one classmate who was a really good friend, he's a great friend of mine today, who I remember very clearly in front of Emory Law School, him asking me the question, what are you going to do? What kind of law do you want to practice? I said, I don't want George, I don't want to practice law. I'm going to be a sports agent. He was a very deliberate guy, and he did not immediately say what was in his mind. He thought about it. I mean, he really thought about it like probably 10 or 15 seconds. And he looked at me with a lot of empathy, and he said, why? Why do you want to be a sports agent? But that's what I wanted to do. So I, I graduated from law school. I, I went to uh, work for a big firm. I, I took the mentor's advice. And two years into it, I said, I can't take this anymore. I'm going to go be a sports agent. And so, so I quit. And I uh, went out on my own and started doing the work, trying to do the work of being a sports agent. I had a, another mentor, a head football coach, that was friends with my family and that I'd gotten to know through Georgia Tech named Bill Curry, and he was really helping me try to make some contacts and all. And he had played in professional football and had, you know, had, had had a great career and was a great coach. And he even asked me, he said, Mike, you really don't want to do this. You're, it's, it's a glorified babysitter's job. I, listen, I know I've been in that world, but if you're determined to try this, to do, try to do this, then I, I'll help you any way I can. And he really did. He tried as best he could. Had a couple of successes and a lot of failure for about four years. Now, kind of going back in time, I met the Lord when I was 14. My parents weren't Christians. I had friends who went to a local Methodist church and had a really cool youth group. They invited me to go to the youth group with them. Well, 
in the process of going to the youth group, I started hearing about Jesus. And probably about a year into it, they had a revival at this church. And so I went to the revival because the girls were going to it. That's the only reason why I was there. And I, and I remember to this day, the, the evangelist, seriously, I thought he was looking right at me. And, and he, he said, you've got a problem. He explained the problem. He said, God's provided a solution because he loves you. He explained the solution. He said, now you've got a decision. And I decided at the age of 14 that I wanted to follow Christ. Now, I didn't do a very good job of it up until probably, I mean, you know, yesterday. But I made that decision to follow Christ. So back to Bill Curry and my attempt to be a sports agent. Now, I got to apologize to you guys. Okay, because I, uh, my brother died of a brain tumor about 12 years ago, and we were close. He was a great man, and when he died, like something kind of broke inside of me, and so at times when I when I think about God's goodness and what's in store for me after this life, I'll tear up a little bit. So hopefully I won't, but if I do, you don't need to worry about it, okay? Because I'm fine, all right? I'm just kind of dealing with my own head with, with, with this thing. I made the decision, I got married to my wife uh, in 1987. God, I better remember that year. This is on tape. <laughs> She's gonna look at this. 1987, baby, August 15th. Um, and she got pregnant within a month of us uh, getting married. And all of a sudden, I was like, I got three mouths I'm going to be feeding, not one. And this has been a disaster, me trying to be a sports agent. So I'm done. I've had it. My mentor, lawyer friend was right. It wasn't when, if it was when. And so... But I, I said this, Bill Curry's been too much help to me for me not to go tell him thank you. So I called Bill and I said, I, I need to come down. He was, at the time he was the head coach of Alabama. So I, I went to see Bill and uh, I said, thank you for everything you did for me. I really appreciate it, uh, but I'm, I'm out, I'm done. I've got, uh, I'm, 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 I'm done being a sports agent. And Bill said, that's the weirdest thing, Mike, that you came here this week because this week, just, I think it was a Wednesday, Monday, my agent, a guy named Robert Fraley, who was a star in the business, one of the best agents, if not the best out there, and a man of high integrity. Bill wouldn't have been represented by him if it wasn't. My agent called me to tell me that he was doing some reorganizing in his business and he had a position, a pretty important position in his firm that he had to fill. And he asked Bill, is there anybody you know that you could recommend to at least interview for this position? And Bill said, would you like to interview for it? And I was like, sure. 
So I interviewed for the job and I got it. And, and the timing of that, I'm going to say, was God's providence. I mean, I, I can't really, you know, so many things have happened in my career that a guy like me who never played professional ball, didn't have a dad who was a, was a famous coach, I didn't cheat. I wasn't going to be one of these guys that was giving people, you know, money under the table or families paying their mortgage or whatever. And by the way, that goes on all the time. And that I was getting my head handed to me because I wasn't going to do that. So it was a very unlikely person to be pursuing this anyway. Ends up getting this job. Those five years in Orlando set my course into being a, a sports agent that I've now done this for 31 years. It's been my career. And so, you know, I look back and I say, well, all the things that have happened that the Lord did. Somewhere along the course of after graduating from college, and I can't really tell you when, but somewhere along the course, I made this mental decision that I think God honored. And it was along the lines of what John Wayne said. A man's got to have a creed. You know, a, uh, what's the exact quote? A man has, a man has to have a code to live by. A code, a creed to live by. And I made the decision, a similar decision to what Billy Graham had made when he, uh, just before doing his first um, revival. And the decision was this, I believe in God, I believe God is real, and I believe that the Bible is God's word, and I'm gonna follow it. And even though there's gonna be things I don't understand, even though there's gonna be things that other people say, question, or say, you know, you're not intelligent doing this and believe in this. I said, that's my code. That's my creed. I am going to follow the Bible. Now, the interesting thing about the Bible, and I'm going to get back to the sports agency and tell you, you know, one story and then we'll have some questions. But I do want to say this. The interesting thing about the Bible is that Solomon was right. There is nothing new under the sun. Nothing. He said that almost 3,000 years ago. And I'm telling you guys that the answer to life is in these pages somewhere. And you may have to dig. And you know, you've you got a better chance of finding it if you read the book. But I've been amazed in my life at how relevant this book has been to giving me the code to live by. It tells me that I'm a sinner and that everybody is and that it's just a problem we have. And I look and I say, well, that corresponds to reality, you know? I hadn't met anybody that I wouldn't say, yeah, he's a sinner. <laughs> the 
only person that didn't sin was Jesus. It says a lot of things. It says that men and women are different, that we have different roles. It's a really interesting story. I was just talking about men and women being different. I took my in-laws down to St. Simon's this last weekend. And we were on, if, if you've ever been to St. Simon's, you know that there's a stretch that's a pretty desolate stretch between Macon and Savannah on I-16. Not a lot there, it's just not a lot there. But about halfway down that road is a Cracker Barrel at McRae, Georgia. We got off at that Cracker Barrel to, do, to, to take a break, stretch our legs, go to the bathroom, grab a Coke, turn it around, and go. So I go in the bathroom at the Cracker Barrel. And there's a diaper changing station at, 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 in the Cracker Barrel. And I'm like, okay, that's good. That's, that's progressive. My dad, he never changed a diaper. So, you know, I know they weren't there when my dad was coming along. I changed a lot of diapers, but I don't think there were any diaper changing stations in the men's room when I was growing up. But they're there now. Cracker Barrel is progressive. They have, I bet they have that in every single 640 Cracker Barrels. So I'm walking by this baby station saying, you know, that's, I like that, that's good. Progressive, wash my hands, start to go out the door and, wait a minute, did I see that? I went back over to the baby station and sitting, a sign sitting above the changing table was a sign that says, please. I mean, it was shouting, all caps, please do not leave baby unattended. Seriously? Who would leave their baby unattended? I thought about it a second. I bet that sign is not in the women's restroom. <laughs> They're nurturers. We're different. And then I thought about it a little more. I said, you know, there's a reason that sign's there. Some poor dude brought his baby in here left that baby unattended, and it didn't go well. It ended up with some report that was written up in corporate, and I guarantee you all 640 of those Cracker Barrels have got a sign above the baby changing station now that says, do not, please, please do not leave baby unattended. Now, I've got an imagination, so I'm starting this running on me now. I'm like, well, I wonder what that looked like. What happened, you know? I said, it's probably something like this. Just like I got off this exit, so, you know, George and Mabel and Junior get off and Junior's got a stinky diaper. Mabel gives the stinky diaper Junior to George and says, go change the baby. I can, and George says, I can do this thing. I will do, I'll help you out, Mabel, let's go. Right now, I know they've got a changing station. He goes in there, he changes that baby's diaper. Does a great job, he's feeling good about himself buttons that baby up, job done, but he's got to go to the bathroom. 
Now, he's smart enough to know I'm not going to take Junior and plop him up on top of the urinal. That's nasty. I'm not going to do that. Hang on just a second while I go to the bathroom. He turns around, goes to the bathroom. Junior's feeling good because Junior's clean now. He's wiggling around. He's worked himself right to the end of that baby changing station. And, whoo, bam, face plant. He's hit, he's hit the floor. Well, at this point, I promise you, George is turning around in a panic mode because he knows, he's, he knows what's coming because Junior is screaming his head off. Meanwhile, outside in the cracker barrel is Mabel. And she hears this crying, screaming going on in the bathroom. And she knows it's Junior. And there's about six other women out there, too, because they, they stick together. <laughs> None of the guys are out there are hearing this. They're looking at, oh, that's a good-looking Georgia helmet. Maybe I can, you know, got enough money saved up to buy that thing. But, those, but it, was, it was, the alarms were going off with the women. The women were all... And, and Mabel's heading, she's about to head in the bathroom, but George comes out, and he's got Junior. And he's doing his best now to try to save the day, okay? And Mabel goes, give me Junior. Why is Junior screaming like this? Well, I don't know, Mabel. I, I don't think he likes the way it smells in there. Like, Somebody's in there lighting it up. I don't like the way it smells either. It's burning my eyes. I'm crying. I'm about ready to cry too. George, why does Junior have a knot on his noggin the size of a baseball? He's in, he's in deer in the headlights now. At this point, he's, he's like, this is denial time. Like, I don't see a knock, anything on his noggin. The ladies are lined up. So you've got the prosecution, you've got the witnesses, and you've got George on the stand. And then the star witnesses come out of the bathroom. Billy Bob and Ted. Did you see that baby fall off the changing station? Hit his face? I didn't know babies could bounce. George is finished. Women are different than men. Now, I'm feeling pretty good about myself at this point because I know I'm, I would not, please don't leave the baby unattended. I would not leave that baby unattended. But as the Lord would do it, as I'm walking out, God brings to my mind a conversation that I had with my wife two weeks earlier. And this is true, true story. My, and I know the day it was because it was the day the World Cup Finals. And I'm getting ready to watch the World Cup Finals, and I've got two grandkids. And one of them's 18 months old, Eleonora. And as my wife, she's going to run an errand, and we're keeping the grandkids, and she's walking out the door. And before she gets out the door, she turns around, and she says, Mike? What, honey? Mike? She's going to get my eye. Mike? Do not leave Eleonora unattended. That could have been me. I could have been responsible for that sign above the baby changing station. And you know what? 
dollars in this country. What you might after she asked you how many years you had. <laughs> what you might hear is, are they having that meeting at Monday night or next week? You should go. That's what we need to tell the clients. It's, it's about what, what this book says, what Ruth says, and, and, and you learn it when you sit down and you study it and you pray with it and ask God to give you wisdom. What Ruth really says is, you're a believer, but you're, you're a good servant. And some of you know, you may end up having you know, wives who don't want you to be a believer. And that's, you know what? If that's the case, you don't fight it. What you do is you get in prayer and you say, hey, Lord, I know you want me to be a leader. I know, I know it's my responsibility. She knows even you don't believe Your responsibility is to be spiritual leader in the household. You know? You tell your children who will be enemies sooner than you think about bravery and courage and nights and challenges. You can express leadership without your wife even knowing. That's between you and God. And if you're leading well, it's no problem. You trust your Lord and you draw her close to you. And she may even get the Bible and read chapter 5 of Ephesians on her own. Get in a Bible study and start learning what truth, submission is. But look, everybody's got a group. Some people's creed is money. I'll make a lot of money. Some people's is people, some, some guys is power. I, I, want, I want to be well known. I want, to be, I want people to know who I am. I, I want to uh, be special in the eyes of people. Some people it's pleasure. I'm going to chase as much pleasure as good as I can because I know I'm going to die and I've got to all the pleasure and I can do right now. What's your prison? What you cut over is you put a box. I'm so thankful that God put a mom to desire to make this book. I love him. This book because the creed that I love about. Well, I'll finish up here with a story. I got a friend who played, who, who I represented uh, during this film in Jeremy Hunter. Jeremy was a relief, relief pitcher. And if you don't follow baseball, you probably never heard his name. If you follow baseball, you might. No, but he's won three. He's tired now. But he played in four World Series and was on the winning team for three of them. He's one of the best relief pitchers to ever play the postseason. His ERA, postseason ERA is 0.89. He's been named to, that, you know, as, as a middle relief specialist on different people that say who's an all-time World Series, all-time World Series team. Jeremy, Jeremy's been in that. Jeremy almost quit. Jeremy went through a really, really hard time when he first got called up to Kansas City. 
injuries, and poor performance. He would be almost sick. This series that he's probably going to be sick. I'm down my head. I can't take it anymore. And God gave me the opportunity to walk him off the ledge. But Jeremy finally got traded away from Kansas City to Colorado. And by way of Cincinnati, ended up in San Francisco. And then his career exploded at Boston. Jeremy and I got some really good friends. Um, Jeremy got kicked out of his house one time. His wife kicked him out because he was being real nothing. And um, he was actually, it, I'd love it if you guys could get him to come to this because I think he really enjoyed it. He, he loves to come speak. But he got kicked out because he was so shamed with stuff he was doing with pornography, he was taking it out on his wife and kids. And it was, it was killing him, and he was killing them. And his wife said, get the heck out of my house. And Jeremy, in a very broken state, found some guys in Phoenix called True Faith and, and proceeded on a journey of healing, not through shame, but through transparency with the problem. To not only walk away from the pornography that was so prevalent everywhere, in professional sports and baseball, to walk away from it, and not only that, but to become a a uh, uh, a fighter against not just pornography, but the deeper root issues that are causing us men to go towards pornography. And he is executive producer of a movie that you can see on Netflix called The Heart of Man that is an absolute eye-opener, awesome movie. I recommend it to any guy to watch that movie called The Heart of Man. But Jeremy and I went through, God gave us an opportunity to go through a very unusual negotiation. The San Francisco Giants wanted to extend his contract. They uh, appreciated what he had done. I think it was after his first World Series that they had won. And they wanted to extend his contract by 10 years. And so we negotiated the amount and we were getting the contract ready. And he was on a $4 million. He was coming off of a two-year, $4 million contract. And so we had one more year at $4 million, and we were going to tack two years at $5 million each on this deal. And the first draft comes across my desk from San Francisco, and, it, and I'm reading the, the years, and it's four and a half, five, and five. And I said, I don't remember them kicking up the four to four and a half, but I'll talk to Jeremy about this, and Jeremy, I said, well, I don't remember saying that, but it's right here. I said, you know, if it's a mistake, they'll catch it. And I'm certainly not going to call them and tell them that they made a mistake, because if it's not a mistake, they will take it off, because that's the way this business works. They will, they will take advantage of all saying that. So I just let it. Let go. Second draft comes in, four and a half, five, five. Third and final draft comes in. And this is over a 
two or three year peak period. Comes in four and a half, five, five. Here's the deal. Jeremy signs it, sends it in. He's getting ready for the season to go. Spring training. Four weeks later, I get a phone call from Bobby Evans, the assistant general manager of the San Francisco Giants, saying, Mike, we're sitting here right now watching a game, me and his assistant out in Arizona. We're watching a game out in Arizona, spring training, and it just hit us. It just hit us. We made a mistake. We put four and a half in. It should have been four, five, five. And I'm not calling Mike to tell you this to get you to do anything about it because it's done. We've done. We stopped it. I just want you to know we just realized we made a mistake. I said, Bobby, let me talk to Jeremy. Let me go back and look at my notes. I'll call you back. I called Jeremy. Jeremy says, cool. What do you think? I said, well, you're asking me, you know, as your agent, I'm telling you, it's your money. That contract is signed, it's sent in, it's done. I said, the Giants say it's your money? I said, you can call the Players Association, we did. And they said, it's your money. It's a deal, deal to deal. I said, but Jeremy, as your agent, as your friend, and as a brother in Christ, I've got to tell you, you've got to really think through whether or not God is going to have this telling We do the deal. We don't want the money. And, and that's what Jeremy came back, and that's what we did. Maybe that had an impact on somebody on the other side of the table. Maybe it's safer, Jim. I don't know. But all I know is that it was an opportunity that God put out there for us to do the right thing. And they knew that we professed Christ and for us to walk along. And it wasn't hard. It really wasn't hard. You know, this was not, there have been hard things that I've done. This one wasn't hard. I can't tell you that, that I, I didn't pull the calculator out to see how much money I lost today just get paid on percentage of the money. You know, that, that cost me you know, X thousand dollars. But there ain't no amount of money that can be exchanged for your name and integrity and who you represent and, and being who you say you And um, interestingly, Jeremy went on to win two World War Championships. If we had not get that money back, I don't know if they would have kept it. Not a trade. Who knows? I, I don't know. I, I know this, that when we went to do the last deal that we did, I'm at the winter, no, I'm at the GM meetings in Palm Springs, really there to tee it up with Josh Hamilton. Bobby Evans calls and says, says, we got time to meet. Yeah. We meet. He walks in and he says, Mike, we, we'd like to get this done before Jeremy hits the free agent market. We'd like to offer an 18 million over three. 
I'll tell you, back when that took place, that was like, why are you doing this? That was like, market 70 plus. I got a phone call. We did the deal. 18 over 3. It changed the market. I got a phone call. I've never gotten a phone call like this ever from anybody at the Players Association, but the head of the Players Association, Michael Weiner, called me and said, Mike, amazing job on that belt. You just changed the market for about 25 players. I didn't do anything. I did not do anything. But maybe I did. Maybe it was when we said, Bobby, we want you to have the money back. It's not ours. See, that's the kind of test that God gives you opportunities to, to do things. It's like the best deal that I've ever done was the ones that God did. So, so anyway, that's my story.